as you're being seated, man, let's just give God the praise and the glory for that worship. Wow, man, amen. That is powerful. It's great to hear the praises of God's people in his house. And what an awesome day to be here led by our worship team. Man, what a powerful praise and worship moment. I just want to welcome you here. I'm Jarrett McNeely, the Connections Pastor here at Church at the Mill. And it is an honor and a privilege to be able to stand before you today and bring God's word. I do not take this lightly. I'm so excited about today. I'm a lot nervous too, but that's okay. And we're going to just praise God continually in this place. But I just wanted to just welcome you here and invite you to turn in your copy of God's Word. We're going to be in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and it's going to be the first six verses. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. And as we get started, as you're turning there, and I kind of give a little intro, I want you to just celebrate with me uh, what God has done this summer, is in particularly in the life of our students. Is it not amazing what God has done in our student ministry here at Church at the Mill? I mean, that's to be celebrated and praised right there. Thank you so much. I, I join you in that and amen that because the, the students just came back from summer camp down in Charleston this week, and you saw the video. They're, they had an amazing week. A lot of our leaders were there. Almost 100 adult leaders were there, and it was an amazing week of transformation for our students and for our adults, and we saw kids come to know Jesus, and we saw a lot of decisions that were made. I was not there. I was here getting ready for today, but I know that many of our people were there, and I just am so excited to see what God is going to do with the transformation that took place this week in the life of our student, individually and corporately, how God is going to work in them, not only with the remainder of this summer, but as they launch back into school and begin the fall, that God would use them mightily. I tell you what, we are blessed to have young people who live for the Lord. We are blessed to have young people whose focus is on what God's will is for their life. God is still calling young people to himself in this crazy generation, in this time when all the world is seeing chaos. We're seeing young people wanting to follow Jesus and give their heart and their life, and we need to make big of that as a church. I just want you to know it is an honor and a privilege to be able to be in the role that I'm in. I'm in the connections role, and prior to my uh, going into this role, I had no idea what that was. <laughs> I really didn't know what a connections pastor was, what a connections pastor did, but I'm so excited to be in that role because I can truly see how God knit me together for such a time as this and for this purpose. And it is an honor and a privilege to be able to meet with the new members uh, of our church. And through the years, I've met with several of you one-on-one. -on -one. We value that one-on-one -on -one relationship. We value that personal time with you. We want to know you and for you to know your pastor and pastors of this church. And so that is a crucial step for us and will always be important to us that we take the time to get to know each other and hear your story of how God has brought you from where you were to where you are and how he wants to use you in the context of this local body of believers. And so it's really exciting for me to be able to take the opportunity to share with you that our Connections ministry here is not just greeters at the door. Our Connections ministry here is an opportunity for you to help us to make clear the pathway for people to hear the gospel. 
That's the ultimate goal. We want to make clear, remove all the obstacles so people have that opportunity to come into this place and hear the gospel clearly. And if you can help us out with that, you do not have to be on the schedule as a greeter, but you certainly are part of that culture. We have a great culture of welcome in this place. We have a great culture of welcome in this community. You hear people talk about church at the mill out in the community, and you hear people talk about how friendly of a church it is and how welcoming it is, and that it's a great place uh, to come and uh, worship and hear the word preached. And, and so I want us to continue to make big of that culture, to, to realize that we're a part of that every single day, every single Sunday that we meet. We're a part of continuing to make sure that that culture is, uh, is important in the life of our church. Because any given Sunday, we have first-time guests here. Even today, we have first-time guests here. And it's an opportunity for them to see with a first impression the reality of who we are in an authentic way. And it, that's, a, that's a powerful tool that God uses to work in the, in the life of a person who's looking for a church family, who's looking for a place to belong. We want to be that warm and friendly church. We want to be that place of belonging to people who are looking for that community of faith. We want to be the place where people can grow spiritually and continue to draw strength from the Word of God and grow personally. We want it to be a place where they find community and find that group of people that they can do life with. And these are all a part of the things that make up what we call the church. We know the church is not the building. The church are the people. The church are the people, and we are the church. And the church is here for such a time as this, for God to use us, for God to, to purpose in us his will to use us united together to do what he's put us on this earth to do in this season of the world. And so I want you to be encouraged today that you're a part of something special. If you're a part of Church at the Mill and you're you're a faithful member. You're a part of something that God is doing. You're a part of those young people coming to know Jesus at summer camp. You're a part of those people who are, who are, who are receiving the biblical counseling on a regular basis that, that are being transformed by the Word of God and by the teaching. You're a part of the small groups that are dynamic and helping to connect people regularly and do life together. You're a part of that great worship experience that people can draw from and be encouraged and fueled by. And so all of these things, it's, it's who God has created us to be. So let's not take that for granted, but let's see that God has given us something that's very special. He's given us a great gift in being a part of this church. And I'm excited about what's yet to come. I'm excited about the future because we have life in this church. It's a life-giving church. And so today, I want to speak on this subject matter. As a matter of fact, we're going to speak on shining the light that enlightens. We're going to speak on this, and you see 2 Corinthians chapter 4 there. I'm going to read that here in a minute. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. But you know, in the Bible, light has been used in a lot of ways. We know that light first came on the scene in creation. In the beginning, God created the world. He said, let there be light. In that moment, he separated day from night, and the sun would shine in the day, and the, and the moon would come up at night, and darkness would fall upon the earth. And we had this, we still 
have that today. Is that not amazing? When I woke up this morning, the sun was coming up, and from the time of creation until today, that has continued to take place. Is that something that we just look past in our day-to-day, or is that something that we should recognize is the power of God is evident every single day of our life. The largest source of light that we have in our world, obviously, is the sun. The sun fuels the earth. It helps plants to grow. It helps us to survive. The sun is a powerful source of light and energy for our world. And sunlight is there because God knew that we needed to have sun in order to live, just like he knew that we needed Jesus, the light of the world, in order to live spiritually. And so today we're going to look at those correlations. I want you to understand that light also travels. Nothing is faster than the speed of light. And I want you to think about this. This is pretty incredible. When I, when I saw this, I was like, that is crazy. You know, light circles the earth. You know, as big as the earth is, light will circle the earth 7.5 times per second. So I can't even get that out. And it's already circled it multiple times. I mean, per second, light travels around the earth 7.5 five times. That's pretty fast. But light also has the ability to have variable speeds. Like you can slow, slow, slow light down. As a matter of fact, you do that when you wear glasses. Like myself, I'm getting older, so I wear glasses so that I can see. I can't really see you right now, but I can see right here. But I can see you when I put these on. It's because when the light goes through the lens, the, the speed of light slows down in order to help my eyes to be able to focus correctly through that lens. I think that's accurate. I'm no doctor, but something like that works. And so we see how God has designed light in many ways for us to have the benefit from that light. But God also reveals himself uh, in his nature through that physical light. God reveals himself in this way. We see that in John chapter 1, it's a very powerful verse. I know you've read it before, but we see it illustrated here. In him was life, and the life was the light of man. The light shines in the darkness, and darkness has not overcome it. In the Bible, we see the contrast between light and dark. Light has always been illustrated through illumination. Light has always given hope and life and knowledge and salvation. And on the flip side, darkness actually is the absence of light. Darkness is the absence of light. And so it brings hopelessness. It brings sin and evil and despair. It brings death. And so that is the contrast that the Bible teaches us between light and darkness. And so today, I want to share from our text, we're going to look at it here, three parts of this text that to help us to understand how the light of the gospel affects our lives. And so let's look at it, chapter 4 in 2 Corinthians, verses 1 through 6. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. We have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. 
for what we proclaim, not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants, for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. Would you pray with me as we begin? Lord, we are so grateful that you have given us an opportunity today to open your word, to be able to experience what you would have us to hear. And so we just simply pray today that you would shine a light in our hearts, you would shine a light in our world, that, Lord, we would submit to your will and to your way, and that we would look to you for all hope and for all encouragement. We would look for you, look to you for all joy and for all salvation. So move in this place today, Lord, in the way that you see fit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. So today I want to share three parts. The first part I want to share with you is the part in the first two verses that talks about the God-given purpose for believers. Now, if you're here today and you believe in Jesus Christ, you've trusted him as your Lord and Savior, and you're dedicated to him, your life is an example for him and for others to see, and you're living for Jesus Christ, you're a believer and that's what I'm going to talk about in the first two verses are, are the believers, the God-given purpose that God has given you. In this text, Paul regards uh, his, his calling as something very important. You see it right there. Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God. He's talking about this ministry that God has given him to go and shed the, share the word, to preach the word to the nations. And I want you to know that I take my calling to God very seriously, too, and I know our pastors do. This is something that we all understand through God's Word that is special. It's not something we've achieved. It's not like I set out to say, oh, I want to achieve pastorhood someday. No, it's, it's a calling that God places on your life, and God has uh, a, a way to work in your life to lead you in that calling and help you to understand that this is the life that He wants you to lead. And I still believe that God's calling people out to Himself Today, I believe that God's still in the calling business of leading people, not only into ministry, but being ministers. And you don't have to be a pastor to minister. You don't have to be a pastor to be able to lead people to Jesus. You don't have to pastor uh, to, to, to do the function of, of pastoring. You can still shepherd people in your area of life, in your sphere of influence that you're in. You can still be actively ministering to people all around you. As a matter of fact, the church can't survive with just pastors doing all the pastoring and ministering. We need people, the, the laity, the members of the church, to come alongside of us and minister faithfully in the area that God has called you into. And so we see Paul really passionate about the calling which God has on his life and for him to really stand up to those who are saying that he's not called, because in 2 Corinthians, which is a follow-up of 1 Corinthians, and you know, we were in 1 Corinthians for a while, and we, we learned all about what God taught the 1 Corinthians, and then uh, along came a, 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 another letter that, uh, that they received, and, and here what Paul is trying to communicate to them in large part is what their role and responsibility is, but also that don't listen to the false teachers. Don't listen to all the people who are naysayers, listen to the truth of the gospel that you've been preached. Listen to the word of God that you've, you've heard shared over and over. And trust those who have 
shared that word of God with you. And so Paul is constantly coming back to the young believers in 2 Corinthians and encouraging them in this journey of trusting the Lord. And so in, in, this, in this time, uh, he refers back. Actually, chapter 4 is connected to chapter 3. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask you to look back into chapter 3 for a minute because there's a lot of context in chapter 3 that helps us, uh, helps us to understand what Paul's trying to say in chapter 4. But what he did is he had a reference. He had a reference about Moses, and he compared his ministry to the ministry of Moses. And he says, now Moses was called by God. Wait a minute. You, you remember Moses, right? Everybody, now you, you may not have uh, grown up in the church, and I understand that sometimes we don't know all the Bible stories. Moses was a, he was a very active individual, part of God's plan and purpose in the Old Testament to uh, bring the Israelites, God's people, out of Egypt, out of slavery, and take them into the promised land. God, God called Moses to the task of leading those people out and to lead them from Egypt to the promised land. And so in that, in that time, uh, God's calling on Moses' life was crucial. Uh, he, ha he had to answer the call or this was going to be in jeopardy. So God called Moses. Moses reluctantly answered the call, but he did it. And he said, I'm going to go and I'm going I'm to do it. As a matter of fact, uh, he came out with this song, he, he, this really cool song. You may have heard it before, something, something like Pharaoh, Pharaoh. Y'all know the song? Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh. I thought about getting Julie out here, but I thought the song was a little too complicated. Uh, she's still working on her skills and getting there, but you know she. Um, but he, you know, it's this iTunes hit. Pharaoh, Pharaoh, oh, let my people go. Huh. You got to get the hood in there. It's very important to get the hood. So no, I'm just kidding. But when when Pharaoh led the people out of Egypt, it took them 40 years to get to the Promised Land. And in the process of getting to the Promised Land, God began to communicate what He called the the covenant of God, the law to his people. The, the law came to his people because they were people who were not willing to follow God's will. And so he had to lay out what it is that he wanted them to do and how he wanted them to act. And, and so he gave them the law. And we, we now call that the old covenant. Paul refers back to that in, in chapter 3 as the old covenant, and which brought condemnation. So if you'll, if you'll look back to verse, uh, let's see, 4. In chapter 3, it says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ towards God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves uh, claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, referring to the law, but of the Spirit. For the letter kills, but the Spirit gives life. Now here at Church at the Mill, we consider ourselves to be in covenant when we have membership process. We call our members into a covenant that says we want to be the body of Christ that God's called us to be, to follow what God's called us to, to do and to accomplish, and, and that, we would, that he would be our God and we can trust him that he would lead us and that he's never going to leave us or forsake us. He's going to be near and present with us. And so in this covenant, God's given covenants throughout time. God gave us a covenant of marriage in the Bible where man and woman are in covenant together. And this bond is, is a bond of promise. And it's a bond of pledge that says, I'm going to be faithful to you and I'm going to trust in you. 
and I'm going to give you myself for this life, and we're going to do life together, and our, uh, our covenant is going to be under God's promises that he has given us. And so it is that he gave the covenant to his bride. He is the groom, the church is the bride, and we're in covenant with him to be about the agreement that he's called us to be about, to say that he's going to be our God, we're going to be his people, and we're going to serve him, and we're going to live for him, and we're going to do what he's called us as a church to do. And so we're in this covenant. What Paul is saying is, is that we are ministers of the new covenant. And it's a covenant not written on, on, on stone, a letter of the law, but it is a covenant that is written on our hearts. And this is a distinction that Paul sets up. Because when the, the new covenant is written upon our hearts, it's about transformation. It's about the change that God gives us in our life. It's about the difference that he can make, only he can make in our life to take us from the darkness and bring us into the light. That's the change. And so this new covenant represents the freedom that we have in Christ. And so he says this, he says, so, so don't lose heart. This is a powerful rally cry kind of a statement that means, hey, don't get down about the world. Don't get depressed in your current circumstances. Don't let the weight of the world get you down when people are not following God around you and you get discouraged because you see others who uh, have lost their way and they're not living for the Lord. He says, we walk boldly in Christ. Look at verse 12 of chapter 3. Verse 12 says, since we have such a hope we are very bold. This new covenant, this transformation, this agreement with God gives us hope. It gives us boldness and it gives us confidence to walk in him. And how do we have this in, in a sense that we, he, we can only have it if, if we realize that he's changed who we are. It's a, it's a lifestyle change. The Bible says that when we trust in Jesus Christ, the old is gone and the new has come. Essentially, what he's saying is we have a new identity in Christ. This new identity looks like the opportunity for us to show boldly and confidently who Jesus is and what he has done and what he is going to do. And so we live in this world where we do not lose confidence. How can we do that? How can we live boldly and confidently and not lose heart? In verse 2, we see that our boldness and confidence comes from the things that we have, we have renounced. In verse 2, it says this, but we have renounced disgraceful and underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. You see, we have refused to be people who hide our sin. We have refused to be people who are secretive in our ways. And if you're a believer today and you, you're harboring some secret sin and there's a dark compartment in your heart where you haven't shared or opened up with God, today is the day you need to release that and give that over to God and let the light of God shine in that dark place because we're not people who operate in hidden and secretive ways. We're not people who live in the distorted views of the world, but only by the word of God that he has given us to live by. We are people who do not take the word of God and twist it to make it what we want it to say, but we are people who live by the context of truth 
that is found within the Bible, and we, we stake our claim and stand upon the truth of God's Word. Are you with me today? And I want you to know that when we renounce these things, we're in a sense driving a protection of our identity in Christ that says we are not going to compromise what God has said that we should be in this world. Many times we see believers in this world and we see people who claim to be Christians and then there's uh, something in their life that's not necessarily adding up and you know, nobody's perfect. I'm not preaching perfectionism today. But what I'm telling you is, is that when we have experienced the light of the Lord in our life and we've had transformation in our heart and soul, we are going to live in open honesty with integrity and our life is going to reflect that and our Christian identity is going to be evident to those that we encounter. And we are going to live a life that people understand who we are because this is our identity now. That's what we need to resemble. But you know, in today's world, if you think about the process of identity theft that's going on, and you think about identity protection and how, how much we try to protect our own identity, think about your, your accounts, think about your online presence and your device that you have in your pocket or on your person, and you're, you're, you have a, a code and all those apps that you have have a login and there's all these identity protection ways now to protect people from hijacking you but somehow they still find a way sometimes somehow they still get in there and as a matter of fact I read this week that identity theft victims account for 1.7 billion dollars that's a big number I can't even count that high but we know that it's affecting us we know that it's a danger in this world that is lurking that we, we can't see. And we know that in that identity theft, it affects about 16.7 million people in their online presence. So it means that more than likely, if you have some sort of an uh, online media account or, or some sort of a uh, financial account online, you're probably going to encounter a time when somebody hacks your account. As a matter of fact, one in 15 people experience some form of identity theft in this life. And uh, you, that means if you look around, every 15th person has probably had to get a new debit card or their, you know, renew a password or they've probably had to go to their bank and try to get their money back because somebody took their money out of their account. You know, I want to ask you this question. What if we treated our Christian identity with the same intensity that we treat our online presence? What if we protected our Christian identity the way that we protect our online presence with all kind of two-way authentic, I can't even get the word out. Uh, it's above my pay grade. Uh, authentications or whatever, you know what I'm talking about, where you have to put in two passwords just to get into something. And, and so, I, was, I just want to encourage you today with these, these questions. I mean, I'm just asking you these questions. If you're a believer, if you're a believer here today, how can you focus less on self in your life and more on Jesus? John 3.30 
he must increase and I must decrease. How can we live our life in a way that we resemble who he is and our identity in him is so evident to others that people see it wherever we go? What about number two? What distractions need to be eliminated so that your heart is living out God's purpose for your life? 2 Corinthians 12, 9 says, take every thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ. Take every thought. If you stop and think about that, how many thoughts do you have in a day? Take every single thought captive to the obedience of Jesus Christ, that our life would be so in tune with the will of God that when we think a thought, it's for the purpose of shining his light and not making it about us. What about the last question? How can you live boldly for Jesus? Romans 1.16 is that we would not be ashamed of the gospel of Jesus, for it is the power unto salvation. That we would live our life boldly so people's lives could understand their great need for the Lord in their life. And I just want to think about those things because there are people in our lives on a regular basis, even here today, that do not know the Lord that have not yet met Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. So the second part of this message is going to be about the blind condition of unbelievers. You see that in verse four, sorry, three and four. And even if our gospel is veiled, it's veiled to those who are perishing. Paul uses the visual of the veil. You know, we have veils over brides and the veil has been a tradition since the Roman days. But in history, the veil has been a part of the church for a long time. As a matter of fact, back to Moses and Exodus chapter 34, uh, the Bible says that Moses, when he met with God, he had the glory of God so brightly on his face that he began to glow. Now, you can read it for yourself, verse 29 of chapter 34 in Exodus. But God, God says that the, the Bible says that the glory of God began to shine so brightly upon Moses' face that he began to glow. And when he left the presence of God, God would share with him the laws and the things that he needed to be uh, taken back to the people and uh, so, that, so that he could be the, the one to, to convey the message to the people. So when he went back to the people, they said, Moses, you're glowing. You're, you got this, this bright glow in your face. And so he put a veil over his face so they couldn't see the glory of God that was shining uh, over his life. And so every time since then, what he would do is he would meet with God, take the veil off. He would come out, and when he would relay the message of God, he would veil his face so that, so that the people couldn't see it. And what started to happen was, is the people started to get discouraged by this. They started to get hard-hearted, the Bible says. Hard-heartedness is a correlation with darkness and rebellion. And so the people started to rebel against Moses and against God, ultimately, and against the law. And they started to seek out their own purpose, their own way. And they started to understand that this rebellion in their heart is ultimately going to lead to death. And the problem is that when we have this kind of a situation, it's about condemnation. It's about the law. It's about what was written on stone rather than what was written in their heart and what gave them freedom. And so the result of their lifestyle was all about the hedonistic lifestyle that they wanted. They had no regard for God and they had a worship of idols, and they were full of moral defilement. And we see that today. We see this kind of a culture today in our society on a regular basis. And it's easy for us to get discouraged. But we have to understand that there are two 
ways, two ways that keep unbelievers from hearing the gospel. One is, is their own disbelief. One is their own disbelief. The other is, is the work of Satan to deceive. And so when we look at these, we've, we've already saw, we've already looked to see the condition of man's heart. We, we see that it is because what God meant for their protection in the veil, God actually, uh, the devil actually used for uh, there for his uh, tool for his deception, and when that happens, people are led away by their own desires of their heart, and then the devil, Satan, in this passage, Paul refers to him as the God of the world. This is the little G. Little G always connotates in the Bible no deity, and it's a fake or false god. And so Paul was saying, little g, God of this world, Satan is trying to deceive people, trying to pull them away in their own evil desires because he sees that he has a, a way to work in their life and to destroy their life. And so between the two of these things happening, the dominion of the evil one who has a way to create lawlessness and unbelief in our world, he works in the playground of your mind the enemy does, to bring you to destruction. And so we need to look and see that when our hearts become veiled, rebellious hearts, it's going to lead to eternal death. You see, what happens is, is he tries to keep people from seeing this light that enlightens. Only here in this passage is this word used in the Greek, the light. It's a little bit different variation than other uses in the Bible, and it actually means the, he, he tries to keep people from seeing the light that enlightens. He does not want them to see the hope in Jesus. He doesn't want them to have the knowledge of the presence of the Lord and Savior. He wants to keep them away from the light and, and keep them in a place where they are isolated from him. And so, I just want you to know, the other day I went to the eye doctor because I noticed um, my eyes were getting a little blurry. I was starting to see, you know, see, see things not as crisp. And so I said, well, it's a good time for me to go. Got some time. And, and so I went. And uh, I'm, I'm one of the people in this world that has uh, nearsightedness. They call it myopia. Myopia means nearsighted. Nearsighted is um, when you have the ability to see close up crisply, but you can't see far away. I have to have these glasses to see far away. Uh, but if I take them off, it's, it's, everything's blurry. And so, and, and I'm going to kind of illustrate that here. And this is, I want to take, take you on a little test this morning. And we're going to give you a brief vision lesson. As a matter of fact, it's free, it's free of charge. And uh, so, if you can see this crisply, um, then you're good. But if, if, you're, if it's a little blurry, then, then you probably need to go to that doctor like myself. No, I'm just kidding. I made it blurry on purpose because I wanted you guys to think that you had some eye troubles. Don't go see your doctor. It's okay. You'll be fine. Don't look, don't stare too hard at it though. But uh, we see illustrated here myopia, which is nearsighted. We also see hyperopia, which is farsighted. Some people can, uh, they can see far away, but they can't see close up. That's uh, farsighted. And the other example is uh, presbyopia. It's, uh, it's when your lens actually loses ability to focus. And so there's a spiritual correlation with these. Uh, the first one, myopia, it, it correlates to the, you know, to the issues where we have 
the ability to see ourselves really well. <laughs> you know, spiritually, sometimes we get hung up on whew, just ourselves. We want to be a selfish individual. And so all we're focused on is what pleases self. And that's the spiritual uh, nearsightedness. The spiritual farsightedness is when we have people in this world that are so focused on the glitz and the glamour of the world, they, they get absorbed by the pleasures of this world, and they only want to look out to see what would give them more pleasure uh, in the world. And then the, the last example, spiritual inelasticity or presbyopia, is, is when we have people in this world that they can't look past the past in order to see what God is doing here in the now. Uh, they, they can no longer uh, see God for who he is in this moment. They always look to what he has done. And so some people get stuck in their ways and they can't enjoy the presence of God in this, this season of their life. They become desensitized to the work of the Lord. It's like when kids go to camp and they come back and they have that camp high and you know, you have some, some person who's older, they come up to them and say, oh, you'll get over it, it's just a camp high. Man, what a downer. You know, I'm so grateful for camps in my life. I mean, it altered who I am. And yeah, I had camps high, camp highs, and then I would come back from camp, and I would have a low, and then I would go back to camp and have a high. You know, everybody who grew up going to church kind of experienced those camp highs in life. But, you know, I believe that each one of those were a stepping stone in order for God to work and, and move in my life to get me from point A to point B to where I need to be and what he wanted for me to experience next. And so I celebrate those camp highs. Woo, let's go. Let's go camp high. But you know what? I think that it gives us an opportunity to create a rhythm in life to see that we, we can sustain these awesome things that God shows us on a regular basis in a consistent pattern when we get home. And so we should never lose sight of God. We should never lose sight of the, the passion and become desensitized to the Lord and what he's doing in the here and the now. We know that he worked and moved in Moses' day, in Paul's day. We know that he died on the cross, and that was an altering thing that happened in the life of our world. And we know that God is still working and moving today. The same Spirit of God that worked in Moses to part the Red Sea is the same Spirit of God that lives inside of us that can win over that lost person that you know in your life, that can use you in some way that you never saw yourself being used in God's world to influence this world and to do miraculous things that only God could do. And it's not about us. It's about his power in us. And it's about his spirit in us. So why do we ever become desensitized to the work of God in our life and the miracles of God that happen on a daily basis? And we just become so desensitized. I don't understand. But the truth is, you don't have to be veiled or blinded by the truth. You don't have to be in John Chapter 1, it says that we beheld his glory. When Jesus came to this earth as a baby, he came to be the bridge between deity and humanity. Jesus came to teach us that he was the temple of God, that he is, he is the high priest. And when Jesus died and sacrificed himself on our behalf, and they say that in the temple in Jerusalem, that the veil was torn. There's a veil that separated the Holy of Holies and the veil when Jesus died was torn from top to, to bottom. And that was a reference to Jesus removing the, the blindness for the world to see the truth of who he was and for us to have access. We now have 
access to the face of Jesus. We're no longer separated from the presence of God. We can know him and experience him through prayer and through worship and through our faith in God. We can live for him as we go about our day and we can encourage others because Jesus is the light of the gospel for all who believe. And if you believe it, you can't help but shine it. And so I want to close today by the, talking about the last point. Jesus is the light owner. In verses 5 and 6, we see that it's a great passage that Paul gives us that we can shine the light. We can shine the light into those around us that we are able to uh, take the light that Jesus has given us and not just keep it to ourselves but we're to tell others about the light of Jesus. And so in, that, in this moment, I want to take a, a, a chance to read this passage. It says, For God who said, Let the light shine out of darkness, has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus. Now, in just a moment, I'm going to do something in this room, and I want you to just stay in your seats. It's not going to last very long. It's, I'm going to have the uh the team to take down all the lights and i want us to 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 take a moment in total darkness to experience what that's like so i'm going to count down if you want to count down with me i'm gonna count down five four three two one lights out can you imagine what it would be like not knowing why you're here not knowing your purpose not knowing what was going to happen next in this life, what was, what was the future going to hold. And then in that moment, a light shines brightly into the world, into our lives. That light shines through the Word of God. And in that light, we see the hope that God has given us. We see the love that God has shown us. We see the sacrifice. We see the joy of the Lord on his face because he loves us infinitely and for always. And in that moment, we receive that light and we began to do something that only we can do and that's to shine a light into a dark world full of people who have never seen the light of the gospel, who have only known the darkness, and yet that light begins to infiltrate their life so much so that they receive the Lord. And I'm shining this bright light in your face because that's what happened to Paul on the road to Damascus. Whenever the gospel came to him, the Bible says that the bright light shone and blinded his eyes and it transformed his life. And so I ask you today, if you have had the light of Jesus shine in your life, shine a light with me. Get out your phone, something, shine that light even now and shine the light so that people can see how you have been transformed. Let that represent the joy of the Lord and the life that he has given you in this dark world. Let the joy of the Lord move and work in your life so that others can see wherever you go, you have the light of the world in your life and the world sees what that looks like in our life. Now take a moment and look around and just see that. Isn't it great when we can shine the light of the gospel into a hopeless and dark world and that light begins to permeate all through the darkness? It's also discouraging when we know that in darkness we begin to be more comfortable with the darkness. And so we don't want to be in the darkness. We want to be in the light. And so I want to call the house lights back up. And I want us to go back into 
the opportunity where we can see clearly. When we see clearly, the Lord says that we ha- he's, he's, he's given us the path. He's, 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 he's given us the path to go down. And in that path is where we are to walk. And so I encourage you today, as we shine the light of Jesus, that we would be people who go with his light into the darkness and shine for him. I want to tell you, either Jesus is Lord of your life or he is not Lord at all. There is no in-between. And I believe that God has positioned our church for such a time as this, for us to be a united front, for us to be bonded together for the cause of Christ, for us to serve him and make him Lord of our life and, and to live for him in a way that is a unique opportunity that, that few get the opportunity to see. Few people get the opportunity to be a part of what God is doing in a church that's willing to say, God, whatever your will is, whatever your purpose is for our church, that we would continue to keep our vision on making disciples, that we would continue to worship him not only on Sundays, but in our day-to-day life, that we would continue to preach the word of God faithfully, and that we would share the story of how God has changed us, our testimony, how God has worked in our life, the faithfulness of God, that people would know that in how we live. We have this opportunity, church. Let's not sit back and say, oh, look at us, we have arrived. But yet, let's humbly put our hearts in the, into focus with God's heart, and we say that we're going to maximize this opportunity that God has given us to go and tell this world about the great hope, the great light, the life that we have in Jesus that's like none other. And now we have that opportunity to be all about God's will. And so I ask you these simple questions today as we close. Have you lost sight of God? Have you lost sight of the God-given purpose in your life? Are you so distracted by the things of the world? Are you so pulled away by your own spiritual uh, hyperopia and desire for worldly things that you have lost track of where God wants you to be in your life and what he created you to do in your life? Have you lost heart? You know, God says, don't lose heart. Be encouraged. Be bold and confident. Share. Open your mouth because we have this opportunity to help people to hear the gospel. It's not the, the, the blind eyes that can't see. It's the blind minds that can't hear. And the only way that we can help people to hear is if we share. We, we know that when we share the Word of God, people are transformed. When we open the Bible and talk about the Word of God, people's lives are transformed. The Bible says, now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. So I ask you today to walk in that freedom, allow the God-given purpose to fill your life. If you're not a believer today, and you've come into this place, and you understand your need now for a Savior, your, your heart is dark and you've been away from the presence of God and you've been in this empty void place where there is no hope. Today you have hope. Today you have a chance to come to God and today is the day of salvation and he's coming back for you and you need to be ready. 
And we need to be ready as a church because we're preparing the world for his return by sharing the gospel. We are his gospel sharing agents. And when we share the gospel, people respond. Are you reflecting the light of Jesus to this lost world? Are you? Is that something that you think about on a regular basis? Today, we're going to have a chance during this song if you would like to respond to anything that God is calling you to do. We're going to have a chance of invitation for you that if you want to come to this altar, you can come and pray. If you want to go and talk to somebody in the prayer room right out here in the concourse, if you go through this tunnel door and hang a left, you'll see a prayer room. And there are people there waiting for you if you would like to have someone pray with you about your circumstances in your life. But today I ask you to take action. Today is not this theological deep message. Today is an action kind of message that says we have a responsibility. We have an opportunity. And we have a hope that has lit our hearts on fire. Literally. When we trusted him. Don't let that go out. Do not lose heart. Let the hope of the Lord shine brightly through you. Let's pray. Father, I pray today that many people in this room would take an action step for you to shine your light brightly that you have shown in our hearts. And that through doing so, people would come to know you and they would experience your transformation. Lord, we give you the praise and the honor and the glory, and we ask these things in Jesus' name.